Hi, everybody. This is Professor Jay Bhattacharya, and this is the Illusion of Consensus podcast. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to have my friend, uh, Adam Wilkinson, who goes by by Wilk, uh, it, it, on the podcast with me. Um, Adam is the proprietor of the Derate the Hate podcast, as well as a, a member of the Braver Angels organization. Um, I, I think uh, the, 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 uh, I'm going to let Adam introduce himself some, but I just wanted to tell you a little bit about how we got to know each other, because um, I think that's important for the context of this podcast. Um, in the con in, in for his work with Braver Angels, so Braver Angels is an organization that is aimed at healing partisan divides in this country, creating conversations between people of very, very different political opinions um, and finding finding common ground. Uh, as part of that organization, Adam reached out to me and invited me to, to appear on his podcast, Derate the Hate, which I think has basically the same agenda, if I'm not mistaken, Adam. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we got to be friends. Like we we spoke for spoke for hours. Turns out that uh, we, we it, it, it's uh, it's it's one of the blessings of this pandemic is you get to meet people that they would have otherwise not ever gotten to meet. And so, uh, Adam, it's a delight to have you in the podcast. Thanks for agreeing to join. So great to be here, Jay. Thank you so much. I always enjoy uh, our, our time together for sure. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I'm a you know just a, a blue collar guy uh, from the Midwest. I grew up bouncing around the Midwest. Uh, my parents were blue collar. I was blue collar. I uh, now I'm I've I've been in transportation for 25 years, uh, trucking and transportation, both as a driver and now as a manager. And uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> I uh, had a lot to say, so I figured I'd uh, do what a lot of people have tried to do and. I started a podcast, so so uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a, but, uh, but you, a you, truck you drivers and I do a podcast. You, you call it Durate the Hate. That is a, such an interesting name for a podcast because a lot of podcasts, it's like we're trying to stoke uh, stoke outrage. Uh, and your the goal of your podcast is the quite the opposite, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. So uh, the Durate part, uh, being in transportation and trucking, anybody who's who's familiar with. Uh, you know, big diesel semi trucks and and whatnot. They they uh they have this mechanism built within them to derate the engine if they uh if the engine is going to uh if there's something going wrong that's going to cause a massive amount of damage to the the basically the operating system the powertrain system uh, of a semi uh it will derate it'll it'll slow it down to the point where it can't destroy itself or that's the idea right. The whole word derate is to just turn something down. So when uh, when I was just thinking about all the hate that's out there in the in the online ecosystem that we we all find ourselves in these days, and and I'm like, wouldn't it be great if we could you know kind of derate the hate, turn that down, and that's where the derate the hate name came from. Okay, so I want to. I mean, that's a fantastic name and a fantastic uh, goal. I mean, I think that I would. I mean, as, as soon as you we you called me and we spoke, I knew that we were going to be good friends, and because I, I think uh, that's that's kind of my mission too. I mean, it's it's it's. I've been in the middle of a lot of fights, but that's not my nature. Right. Uh, and uh, it's been it's been it was just a, it, was, it was wonderful to get to talk to you and be and appear appear on your podcast to talk about my activities during COVID and specifically about my opposition to lockdowns. Now, uh, the audience may know, and, and we'll include the link in the, in the, uh, the podcast notes, but uh, you, a few months ago, you were on the interview stage with Francis Collins. 
And there was a, a clip of that conversation that went absolutely viral on, on Twitter, on, on X, uh, just, uh, just last week. Um, and in that conversation, you, you, are, you, you elicited from Francis Collins something that looked like, but often, I don't think was taken as a kind of a, apology. And not exactly, an apology. I'm not sure what the word, word is, but like a, some sort of self-reflective uh, 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 thought by Francis Collins about uh, the decisions that he'd made during the pandemic regarding the lockdowns, and in particular, the way that he characterized me, Mar Martin Kuldorf and Sunetra Gupta, the, the, you know, the three authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, as, as fringe epidemiologists. Um, uh, I want to give the, the the audience some context for this. So you you had developed a relationship with Francis Collins prior to this. I mean, that's how you ended up on that that discussion stage with him, right? That's right. That's right. So early on in, uh, uh, I believe it was 2022, um, Francis uh, or Dr. Collins, Francis Collins had had. Uh, uh, through his friend David Brooks, who is also a friend of Braver Angels uh, and, and some of the founders of Braver Angels, uh, had approached Braver Angels with the idea of, of really trying to dive in and, and, and get to know people outside of his Beltway bubble, his, you know, his internal ecosystem, uh, kind of intelligentsia bubble, Beltway bubble, whatever you want to call it. But you know, too often people, especially in, in those kind of positions, find themselves in just echo chambers, right? So he, he really wanted to get to know more of the mindset of the average everyday person that's out there, um, specifically some evangelicals. But, uh, but then I have been doing an incredible amount of work since the beginning of the pandemic with the organization Braver Angels. Uh, through my podcast and then personally and and whatnot. So, so they had asked uh, because as part of or or one of the leadership members of what's called the We the People's Project, which started out as the Working People's Project, uh, and me being one of the most vocal people, and I'm out there on on <laughs> uh, different recordings and 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 things like that. So, so they asked me, uh, you know, hey, you'll talk to anybody. Is is this something that you'd be interested in doing? You want to, you know, you've been outspoken about the government's response to the pandemic from the very beginning. I mean, I put out, I think I put out my first video uh, about that in in early 2020, May 2020, maybe, uh, just talking about, you know, the the uh, uh, freedom shaming and and how people uh, were just trying to live their lives, and <laughs> there was a lot of you know, within the media and within, you know, the political ranks and, and stuff, there was a lot of freedom shaming going on. So, so I'm like, absolutely, I will take this opportunity and, and do everything that I can. But I did it in the Braver Angels way in that, you know, I'm not going to just go after and attack uh, somebody like Dr. Francis Collins. Uh, number one, I don't have the bona fide to do that. Uh, and number two, that wouldn't have got anything accomplished. So we, me being somebody who really sees polarization and, and and just the the toxicity that's that's going on between you know all these divided parties as one of the biggest problems facing our nation uh i thought this was a phenomenal opportunity to spend some time who with with somebody who uh, frankly 
I didn't agree with anything on when it came to the government's response to the pandemic, uh, but also somebody who is completely outside of my world. You know, I'm a blue collar Midwest redneck from the Iowa, you know, and, and, and Dr. Francis Collins is, you know, like I said, by rights, one of the, one of the most uh, well-known physician scientists out there. And then obviously somebody who had a integral role in, uh, the government's response to the pandemic. So it was a very, very unique opportunity and uh, something that uh, I've been working on for a couple of years now. One quick thing about this. Uh, sorry to interrupt, uh, Adam, but like the, but the, but the, 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 some of the heroes of this pandemic have been truckers. I mean, there was that massive Canadian protest which ended the vaccine passports and a lot of the the, the, the sort of restrictions on on everyday life in Canada, and it was truckers in the United States, I think, who played a big role in spreading the word about about uh, the, the, the the sort of the the, the the harms, the social and economic and and uh, health harms of lockdowns. A lot of folks reached out to me during the pandemic were truckers, actually, they because they, they, uh, they they maybe they heard me on a podcast or something. I don't know. Right. But the, I mean, I had uh, I, I have to tell you, Adam, I mean, you say blue collar and it and to me that's like a positive like a lot of the scientists did very very poorly the truckers did better than the scientists frankly oh that's absolutely right and i i would in no way use it as a pejorative in any in any any stretch <laughs> of the word because um yeah me like i said i i have i spent 15 years in, in the seat as a truck driver myself personally you know i've been blessed to be able to go on and become a manager and and now uh, lead a team uh, an excellent team of truck drivers and and the stuff that that truck drivers do in this country and around the world i mean without truck drivers everything stops i mean you 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 don't fill the stores shelves you know with with, with groceries that that feed america uh by uh uh by magic it, it's it's really done uh and i don't in in whether it be groceries or medical supplies or or propane or uh, name anything it's been on a truck at some point in time and that means a truck driver was involved in getting it to you and uh so they are absolute heroes and and uh when you talk about you know we I think back to the the nonsensical term of essential workers and, and and things that we had to put up with at the at the beginning of the pandemic and they said well you know this person's essential and that person's not and how anybody can truly decide what who's essential and who's not is is ridiculous but at the time I was leading a team full of uh, a a team of truck drivers that deliver propane and uh and now I'd lead a team full of uh drivers that that deliver medical supplies whether it's medical supplies or propane or food or uh, or or the you know sheets on your bed or the whatever it, it doesn't matter everybody is uh is doing an incredible job to make sure that uh, we have all the luxuries that 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 we need to live our everyday lives i mean a lot of truckers um they've they uh took risks in the early in the pandemic when a lot of people were scared of the of the virus um uh, got covid recovered and then um, you know, some of them faced vaccine mandates that uh, they didn't make sense, given that they were already recovered from COVID. Um, the, the, and actually, even even just vaccine mandates don't make much sense, just regardless. But I do, I, I mean, I do remember um, uh, the the advocacy of many many truckers, and, and of course, as I as I said, it was I think that the, the the probably the most important protest during the pandemic happened 
because of, of, of the good sense of Canadian truckers who very effectively reminded the Canadian government how important truckers actually are to the, to the economic well-being of a country. Um, Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Okay. So you're, 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 uh, you, you, you get tapped by the, by the Brave Angels folks to talk to Francis Collins. And uh, how, how does that, how's that relationship develop? So the way it developed was we we initially ha- had a small meet and greet with uh, with David Lapp, who's one of the founders of Braver Angels, and uh, myself, and and then and then Dr. Francis Collins, and uh, you know we had we had that initial uh, thing, and then we started doing one on one conversations via Zoom. Uh, had several several of those one on one conversations, and then we did some what they call fishbowl exercises where uh, we would both be on Zoom and there would be a, a panel of, of people, whether it be uh, medical professionals or um, uh, evangelicals or, or just, you know, average, everyday, you know, just working class Americans that are, uh, you know, wanting to be heard. Uh, that's one of the things we do at the at the We the People's Project itself is, is give people who are often spoken of but seldom spoken with uh, give those chance those folks a chance at the podium, right? Give them them a chance to talk. So, so we're doing all kinds of these exercises over you know over the last year and a half, two years, um, trying to get as much information and, and trying to just really get a feel for that public health professional mindset and the uh, you know average everyday you know Americans uh, mindset and and uh you know and talk to people like Dr. Jerome Adams obviously the former surgeon general of the United States um uh, talk to uh um oh his name escapes me right now from Marin County out in California uh Matt Willis uh talk to talk to him and and uh and so many other people and then and then in the background not not necessarily while on on board with with Francis uh but but I'm I'm having conversations with different medical professionals from around the country, trying to get a true sense of what they were dealing with, and and you know listening to stories from, you know like an ER nurse from from up here in Staples, Minnesota, who who was talking about how people are. I mean, it's just magically, you know, apparently there's nobody sick anymore because they're not coming in to you know get get dealt you know dealt with because they shut the hospital down and, and stuff. And just these nightmarish stories of different things that were going on around the country in areas where you know they probably hadn't even seen a case of COVID yet. And so so these conversations are, are just going on and on and on and and just learning more. And then and then it finally led up to. Um, and and this project is not done yet by a long ways. I mean, we've got a lot of work yet to do, Jay. But but you know, it, it led up to a uh, a presentation together at the uh, Braver Angels National Convention uh, 2023, which was in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, uh, in July, uh, the week of Fourth of July in uh, in Gettysburg, and and um, yeah, they they uh, they dubbed it kind of a. a an elitist and a deplorable walk into a bar, you know, just, it it was, it was a really funny thing. They asked me if I, if I'm, if I'm fine with being called a deplorable, they asked, you know, Dr. Collins, if he's okay with being called an elitist. And, and, and we got up there to, to basically have a conversation. It was never meant to be a debate. It was just supposed to be an open conversation between him and I. And, and, uh, you know, it was an hour long. (laughs) There was, 
only so much we could get to in in a short period of time, but it uh it definitely look at this five months, six months later and made some uh, serious waves, right? Yeah, I mean that was uh, so. We'll, we'll talk. Let's, why don't we start with that famous clip that the now very very famous clip that went viral, um, but then then open up to like what that because I listened to that conversation. I was absolutely fascinated by it, um, as you might imagine. I might be because uh, uh, and uh, but but let's start with that clip. So in in that clip, um, you're asking Dr. Collins essentially whether he has regrets about how he managed the the pandemic, how he managed the essentially the public health response to the pandemic. And in it, he expresses uh, what, what starts out like uh, some regrets, some apology, some, some like he, for instance, I think he says something like he, he regrets having characterized me and, and Martin and Sinatra as fringe epidemiologists. It, like, that, that, that is not something he wishes he could go back and, and change. But then he, then he says that he, uh, he doesn't regret recommending the, the, the lockdowns. He thought it was absolutely the right thing to do. It was too, that, that, that the Great Barrington Declaration, this, this document that we wrote, uh, Martin Sinatra and I wrote in October 2020, arguing against lockdowns in favor of focused protection of vulnerable people, um, he said that it was a very dangerous document. And uh, he, he specifically then says that uh, the problem with it is that we didn't have a debate uh, inside, or didn't have a discussion inside the public health community. We just went to the public at large with it. And that was ir effectively something irresponsible thing for us to do. And that, in fact, that it shut down debate by, by, by us not going to Francis Collins, I guess, and trying to discuss it with him by going directly to uh, the public. That 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 shutdown debate. Uh, I'll tell you my response to that in a minute. But why, why don't you give me what your thoughts are were on the stage when you heard him say that? Yeah, and that that is obviously something that I I, I want to dive into a lot more with uh, uh, with Dr. Collins because yeah that that never that's that's one of the things that that I didn't really um, obviously I don't agree with and and and. We could have had that. There were there were a number of things that happened in that conversation that certainly could have derailed the whole thing. I I, I suppose and 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 I've received a lot of um, pushback on that for for not pushing back oh, harder. Oh, Adam, on, by the way, on, I thought you did a fantastic job with that. Like that well, was you need to let him speak there, right? He, right, right. He, and the and story that's is what he's thinking at the at that time. Right, yeah. So when he talked about the, the the thing with Scott Atlas and Alex Azar and 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 how it was going to be presented to the you know the president and and, and stuff like that, it, that was one of those things where uh, I, I obviously I was not in in any kind of position to know any of those people or or, or know how that all went down or or whatever. So so the idea. While it didn't sit well with me, it wasn't something I was going to try and push back on more. But but that is definitely something that needs to be, uh, you know, talked about more. That it, that is one of these things that needs to come out more in in conversation uh, with all parties involved, whether it be Doctor Scott Atlas or Alex Azar or or how that's going to go down. I mean, uh, trust me, I, I'm I'm no fan of the you know, hair trigger responses that, that, uh, uh, Donald Trump did on, on a number of different things, but, but to the idea of, of shutting down that particular thing, uh, for the purpose of, of, of not getting it or, or not wanting that idea to get in front of Donald Trump at that time, uh, 
that's that's definitely something that I think needs to be talked about a lot more. Um, uh, but yeah, as far as as far as when I heard it, what I was thinking, um, my my sensibilities always tell me a more open conversation is always going to be better because uh, shutting down debate, shutting down one's ability to talk about things that we don't agree on is not the way to get to the right answer. So, so that's where I was on that deal. And, and uh, I, I definitely think there's more, a lot more that needs to be talked about with regard to that one thing alone, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought, by the way, I, I completely agree with that. I think that was, in fact, that was the main purpose of the Great Barrington Declaration. Obviously, we're just three fringe epidemiologists. <laughs> right? um, what, what, you know, all, all we can really do is start a conversation, right? Right. Um, and, right. and that's, in fact, that was the goal of the Great Barrington Declaration, to tell people that there were scientists that disagreed with the lockdown strategy and to tell the public, look, we need to have a conversation. So many people are being damaged and hurt by these lockdowns. They're not just economically, the, 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 like, you know, there, there were reports uh, uh, in, from, from, or that, 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 that came in from around the world that the economic damage from the lockdowns were causing people to starve. Very, yeah. very poor people to starve. There was the children were being hurt by the the schools being closed uh, at, at scale. There was like huge levels of depression and anxiety, uh, and we we weren't protecting people from COVID. So we wanted that conversation. We wanted that debate to happen. The Great Barrington Declaration comes out in October. Why did it come out so late? I mean, we we were against the lockdowns much earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the reason it came out that late is because the debate wasn't happening. The public health authorities were not interested in that debate. And I'd, let me give you a little bit of background and, and some uh, about about uh, what happened around that time. That summer, uh, Scott Atlas had been uh, had been selected by Donald Trump to be a, an advisor on COVID. Scott uh, and I are friends. He would uh, he is a, a, he, he's here at Stanford. He was the head of neuroradiology at Stanford for a decade. Um, every day he was there. He called in the White House. He would call me up and say, "Jay, I have to quit." It's very frustrating. They're not listening. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're talking. I'm like, like I'm, he and I are discussing papers, the new papers that are coming out every single day, documenting the the the, the problems with the lockdowns, the harms of them, um, and we're talking about the the, the science of COVID itself. Um, I mean, and he says I show them these papers, and they just don't. They don't. They they just ignore them. And when he says they, he means people like Tony Fauci, Debbie Burks. Um, pe- pe- uh, who were the main advisors, the, the people who actually controlled what uh, what President Trump saw and uh, the, the information that he got. Um, and so for, for what Scott told me is that he, they viewed him as a threat because it was a different, separate information flow to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. They wanted mm-hmm. to control what Donald Trump saw so that they could control the policies, the decisions that Donald Trump made. Right. One of the things that that uh, that Scott did that summer in 2020 was to try to get me and some other folks, other scientists who disagreed with the lockdowns in front of Donald Trump, like just have just to show uh, President Trump that there were a number of other scientists, scientists, very prominent scientists, who disagreed with the, with the policies that we were following, so that he got a more complete picture. He's already getting the picture from uh, from Tony Fauci and from Francis Collins and from Deborah Burks and others. Um, Jerome Adams, that that we needed a lockdown, but in fact that wasn't the complete picture. And f- actually, it, he found it very difficult to arrange that meeting. Uh, in in mid July, uh, he said, "Jay, we, we've got a, ra- a meeting arranged. I, I, I got a flight, and 
got canceled last minute. Hmm. It turned out that uh, Fred, that that Deborah Burks had worked to cancel that meeting to make sure that that President Trump didn't get to see an alternate viewpoint. Ultimately, in August, we did get to visit with President Trump, and there's an email from Deborah Burks to Tony Fauci, which in which she says that she's going to make an excuse to not meet with us in front of President Trump. She couldn't stand to meet with us to have that discussion or debate. I mean, just a discussion would have been enough, right? Um, and so it was. It was really. It was uh, so to, to that conversation that you had with Francis Collins was surreal to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were trying to f- start a conversation. Um, the meeting with Pre- with Secretary Azar that was arranged by uh, Scott Atlas right after we wrote the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm-hmm. We met with him. If Azar was quite frustrated, actually, like he felt like he was out of the policy conversation. Our conversation with him went no. I mean, I went into that meeting and basically my only agenda was tell him open the schools, protect nursing homes better. Those were the two major th- items on my agenda. Um, Wait, and that's one of those things. And I don't mean to interrupt, but that's one of those things that that so many people, you know, in with you know in rural America, right, were were screaming for because it's like they we're we're being subjected to these. Uh, one-size-fits-all policies in uh, small-town America when nothing that they were experiencing in New York City or, or L.A. Or, or, or whatever, none of those same things were happening. I mean, and even, in, even in the state of Minnesota, in which I live, you know, you get the seven-county metro area here, which, which really uh, dictates what's going on in the whole state of Minnesota, but there's nothing else outside of that metro area the people don't have anything in common they live different lives they speak different you know i say speak different languages but i don't mean you know actual different languages but they they're they're on totally different wavelengths as far as you know what the people in outstate minnesota are talking about at the dinner table versus you know and and that's what that's what so many people that i was talking to jay were were screaming about is like this this one size fits all thing is just not realistic. Who is going to speak for us? How do we get, you know, how do we get a chance to to tell people what we're experiencing? But and that's why your your podcast, you know, the the name of your podcast, an illusion of consensus, you know, is is so beautiful because that's exactly what it was. It was an illusion, right? There was never a consensus uh, on. I don't care whether it's the medical professionals alone or, 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 you know, public health or, or America. I mean, there was no consensus on how this should have been dealt with. There never should have been. I mean, the most beautiful thing about this country is the fact that we were supposed to be these little, you know, laboratories of democracy. It's probably an overused term, but, but the reality is this is we should have never had to have people in outstate Minnesota being under the thumb of uh, the same kind of policies that, that, that they were dealing with in New York City and whatever. You know, the reality is, is that whole concept of, you know, let's, let's protect the most vulnerable. Let's, let's, let's do our best to build this, you know, massive force field around the most vulnerable in our society and let everybody else live their lives. And, and, and you know, um, but, uh, but that's not what happens. So, so there, there needs to be a lot of, 
you know, forgive the phrase, Monday morning quarterbacking. But but without the conversation, uh, we're never going to learn the lessons needed to needed to get beyond this thing as a as a society as a people. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's interesting the way the because that came up in your interview with Francis Collins about how different the experience of people in rural Minnesota was, and he he says that he he was mainly only thinking about New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was very striking that that part of the conversation. Um, but but let's just stay on the illusion of consensus because that I think was the primary reason why that debate got shut down. The people like Francis Collins and Deborah Burks and Jerome Adams and others were, were did not want President Trump and other leaders to know that there was a scientific debate going on. That there were actually a lot of scientists that were quite uncomfortable, and they weren't fringe scientists, despite what uh, the, the, that, that famous appellation. They were they were like you know like legitimate scientists scientific disagreement by by legitimate people i mean forget who cares, who cares about legitimate they they had good arguments which is the more important thing mhm mhm and i think i i think adam if we would have won that debate had we had it and that is why that debate that is why francis collins as a leader should have allowed that debate to happen right is his job as the head of the national institute of health isn't to like give his policy preference to the president his job is to impanel that scientific debate, allow that scientific debate to happen. That's what the NIH is about, right? Right, right. Yeah, we have to empower the best and brightest minds to get together and work through everything to come up with the best ideas. I mean, that's, you know, it's it's a, like a conversation I recently had with my friend Jonathan Rausch, you know, but we cannot shut down the uh, ideas uh, of of people who we oppose or or, or people whose ideas uh, that we don't like just because uh, we want to uh, appear that there is no opposition, right? The fastest way to real knowledge is to have an open debate with all points of view and and let the best ideas fend for themselves, right? And and that's one of the things that I kept on uh, you know talking about throughout my time uh, during the pandemic and and then in my conversations. With Dr. Francis Collins is don't make mandates, make better arguments, you know, don't shut down debate, make better arguments, because that, I mean, if your ideas are the best, then they will win win. the day. They, I mean, they will. Um, but, yeah. uh, but to shut down, shut down debate. I mean, that's where a lot of this, uh, the, the trust issues come. That's why we have, you know, uh, a record low, um, trust factor in our public institutions today is because so much of what people have jammed down their throat is not up for a debate. And then obviously you do have your grievance grifters and outrage entrepreneurs out there online uh, trying to make a profit off pissing people off. And that's what they're working hard to do. But, but they get strength (laughs) from power entities that try to shut down debate because they can say, see, there it is. That's, you know, that's proof that I'm right because they're trying to shut me down. You know, that's nonsense. Don't shut it down. Just make a better argument. The better argument's going to win the day. And uh, um, uh, eventually knowledge and, and truth will win, win out. I mean, that's just, that's just the right way. But, but now we've got, a, we've, we've got this, this public trust issue that, that we need to, uh, need to get fixed because, as you and I have talked about before, Jay, if we run into another pandemic tomorrow, 
uh, based on where we're at today with public trust and in, in the uh, in the public health establishment, we're hosed, man. We're we're in 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 pretty rough shape because nobody's going to. I don't say I can't say nobody. I mean, there's still people out there jogging with masks on. I saw one the other day, but we we. We are going to be in trouble because there are going to be so many more people today that would not comply uh, than than did during this last pandemic. And and uh, if we don't figure out how to work through the mistakes and, and the egregious errors and, and whatever that we saw during this uh, pandemic response, we're going to be in much worse shape the next time. I mean, so so I, I completely agree. I mean, I think we need a, a real, honest uh, assessment of what happened so that we can have thoroughgoing reform. The, the kind of power that Francis Collins, Tony Fauci, and Deborah Burks and others had should never be in the hands of so few people. You need a much more uh, broad-based response. Um, so there's a couple of items that came up in that, in that again, that snippet with Francis Collins that were, that were super interesting and related to exactly what you just said. Um, so, like, I think that we would have won that debate. Uh, and, and I think you agree with this, Adam. But, like, we need evidence. And uh, the evidence, I think, you, you even brought this up during that little clip. You pointed to Sweden, the Swedish response. And it is a fact that the all-cause excess deaths from any cause during, mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. the pandemic, since the start of the pandemic, in Sweden... Is, uh, when you adjust for the age composition of the population, is lower than the rest of Europe, much mm-hmm. lower than the United States. If lockdowns were necessary to get a good outcome as far as saving life is concerned, you would never have expected Sweden to be the best in Europe. No, I mean, you no. would have expected them to be the worst. Even if they'd had a, a mediocre, middle-of-the-range response, you still would have said, you know, uh, that, that, that still would have been a surprise. In fact, the, the, the policy that Sweden followed, which was not a lockdown, it was much more voluntary, much more advising people to take, take precautions, you know, telling people who were at high risk, giving resources to people who were at high risk so that they were more able to, to, protect, to be protected during the height of the pandemic. Um, I mean, those kinds of responses, much more consistent with basic liberty. Uh, actually ended up saving life more and better than the more draconian kinds of policies. Uh, another, in the, if you just want to stay in the United States, Florida has lower all-cause excess deaths, age-adjusted, than California does since the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, so the, the fact is that we would have won that debate because we, we actually had the better argument. It was known, I mean, you could tell in advance that was going to be the case. If you know anything about how societies actually function, if you shut societies down, uh, if you shut the economic well-being of societies down, you're going to damage people's health and well-being as well. Right? The economic well-being of societies, um, the, forget about economics, just basic human well-being, like our ability to go visit with our, our parents when they're, when they're sick or, or to have our kids go to school are vital for our health. They're not Absolutely. optional. They're not just money. They are actually what life is really about. And when you when you shut those things down, when you cause people to fear, predictably you're going to end up doing more damage to people's health than than if you don't do that. That's the that's the made that's the argument. It's not. And so I thought that was that was predictable. At the, I mean, that was why we wrote the Great Brandon Declaration to make that make to make that argument as forcefully as we could. Um, right. Right. 
Yeah, um, that was uh, that was the 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 thing I talked about in there. You know, the collateral damage part, right? I mean, I'm I'm just crushed when I think about the number of people who, you know, have, have fallen back into uh, drug addiction and alcohol, or, you know, lost their battle with, with drug and alcohol addiction uh, as a result of not having their social networks or, or the number of people who, who you know, passed. Uh, passed away without having the the ability to to uh you know have their loved ones around them at the time or or a, a, like a conversation i had with uh um yeah i think it was dr ravi Iyer i was having the conversation with and and he said that they were you know having to fill up uh uh rubber gloves with warm water and put them in the hand you know stuff like that is just it's it's horrific the idea that people are dying alone uh, holding the uh, holding a, a, a rubber glove full of warm water uh, is just horrific. And then, you know, I, I think about my daughter. My daughter was born in December of 2019, Jay. And, and had she been born a couple months later, it may have been a situation where I couldn't have been, you know, couldn't be in the room with, with my wife and, and, and be there the moment that my daughter was brought into this world and thinking about how many people experienced that and, and that should have, should have never happened. So that's, you know, uh, obviously there are so many things that we have to talk through and, and get through and we can't undo what's been done, but we have to make sure it doesn't happen again. And, and in order to do that, we got to have the conversation. We've got to keep the conversation going and we got to keep on working with all parties and, 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 you know, those voices, uh, whether it be somebody that you agree with or no, don't agree with, we have to hear all voices when it comes to this. And, you know, I, I think about, you know, the conversation you, you and I had with talking about the morbidity and mortality conference and, 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 and then the idea of, uh, of putting together something like the, the, you know, the truth and reconciliation, uh, commission that, that, you know, uh, from back in South Africa in the day and, 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 you know, have true, um, true moments of, of admission and humility and, and, and just making sure that everybody out there understands that the only way we get through this is to have real conversations and, and that pound of flesh strategy that I've said, mentioned so many times is not going to get it done. I mean, I, I can, you know, I, you, you know, I agree completely with this. Like, I think that the only way forward, I mean, we're not going to be able to, uh, I mean, I've heard people talk about Nuremberg 2.0, and that really what that does is it makes people who made these decisions, catastrophically bad decisions, mind you, um, very, very defensive. And of course, they have they have the power mm -hmm, to, to, mm -hmm. to, to give themselves awards, to, to defend, to protect themselves. Uh, in, in that sense, it was really admirable that Francis Collins was a, was willing to be on that stage with you. Like right. it was not something that he he. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen that same kind of spirit at all from many of the other folks who made the decisions in the first place they they still are in their little bubble um but he the things he said was to suggest to me he still might be in the bubble right so at the at the at, like at the very end of that conversation of that clip that that very famous clip now um he he he, he essentially like he he admits that essentially that he wasn't thinking about the collateral harms you talked about it didn't cross his mind mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet, everyone that looks at this that has an ounce of common sense would have, should have been able to predict that. I mean, that's the consequence of being in a bubble. Yeah, not having people around you to say, "Look, you might you're not thinking about something really important here." Um, right. Yeah, and I, I think I think it goes so much to that that idea of uh, you know that 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 
that intelligentsia bubble, that beltway bubble, that those echo chambers that that people find themselves in, and and uh, uh, you know, I'm certainly one that would never uh, never speak for you know, nor will I pretend to you know speak for for somebody like Dr. Francis Collins, but but uh, you know, he is. It, you know, based on my experiences with him, it, you know, it, it's still very much a true believer in, in a lot of uh, a lot of things that were done. And, you know, while he recognizes there were some mistakes, there are still things out there that, that you and I, Jay, would would vehemently disagree with that, that he still believes in. So, um, again, this doesn't this doesn't get fixed overnight. And 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 it's just going to take those moments of humility it's got to it's it's people have to understand that this is a very long game uh it's it's not going to get fixed overnight and and uh especially when somebody's a true believer in, in a lot of the things that they've done their 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 own bias basically for for their own behavior um i mean i i know that there's things that i've done in my life that uh that that were were certainly wrong but i i I'm sure that in some way I can still justify doing the things that I've done in the way that I did them, uh, whether they be wrong or not. So, so we, we just have to realize that, that human beings make errors. We we need to, uh, again, have the conversation because without the conversation, this doesn't get fixed. And, uh, yeah, with people just uh, with, with the loudest and most angry voices out there, you know, wanting to throw a, uh, throw a rope over the gallows and in, <laughs> in the middle of, you know, Washington park or whatever, it's, it's, uh, it's just not going to work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not how our society, that's not how Americans resolve conflicts with one another, right? We, re- no. we resolve them by, uh, the, by, by the ballot box, by reasoning with each other, um, uh, but but I do think that the all the end point ha- of this has to be reform, mm-hmm. like oh, fundamental sure. reform. Like, uh, and I think it like the the American idea would be a system of checks and balances on public health power that doesn't exist. That clearly didn't exist during the pandemic. Like that is, I think the the. Uh, I mean, I I was at the uh, maybe a, like a year ago. If you'd asked me, Adam, I would have said maybe we, maybe I did say to you. Um, that the, the right thing to do is like to treat this as if there was an pl- airplane crash, and then you have the NTSB go and find the black box, uh, tr- do an investigation. They're not aiming at pointing fingers; they're just going to say, "Here's what went wrong," and then put in pol- place policies to make sure that what went wrong doesn't happen again. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, I, I don't. I in the over the course of the last year, I've sort of started to give up hope that we're ever going to get that kind of spirit directly. Well, well, what I think we need <laughs> is a political program. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not yeah. having, I'm not entirely giving up. I mean, I would love to have that happen, Adam. But like, you know, talk, talk me down off the ledge. I, I mean, because I, I've I've moved to the point where I think you need a political program, basically pushing reform, not to again, not to punish, but so that and the and the the kind of reform I think has to be checks and balances, basically force the debate to happen institutionally. Right. So normally when you have a massive regulation that comes out, the federal agency that makes the regulation has to put it up for public comment. They're going to hear from the public if something if they've forgotten something. They absolutely will. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They didn't have any public comment on these decisions, these massive decisions that damage the lives of so many people. Mm -hmm. Um, Force them to put this up for public comment, like make uh, make multiple uh, pillars of power, not just a not not just like. Francis Collins, Tony Fauci, Debbie Burks, and that's it. Like you have to have people who are able to say, no, let's have a discussion. Let's have a debate. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's what the you know this country was founded upon, Jay, and that's what it needs to get back to a country of the people, you know, for the people, by the people. Uh, we need to uh, get back to a point where politicians uh, realize they work for us. You know, we we our government right now, and not to make this into a big political discussion, but our government right now is is way too big. And anytime any one thing gets way too big, and it doesn't have the right kinds of checks and balances and everybody's more interested in, in driving polarization than they are, you know, and driving division and, and, and whatnot, they get too big and then they just aren't going to do anything well. I mean, our, our federal government right now is a complete joke. They do, uh, they, they're, they're so big, they spend so much money and, uh, and, and the vast majority of the biggest, you know, talking heads out there spend all their time talking about how we can, um, how the other side is evil and how, you know, they're not doing anything to help you, but we're going to, and, and, and that, that kind of thing, instead of trying to do the actual work of the people, they're out there just fighting with each other and trying to keep us pitted against each other. But the reality is, is, is we're not nearly as individuals, Jay, we're not nearly as divided as people would have you believe. Uh, that's, that's something that we continue to talk about. in a lot of, a lot of discussions that I have with, with people is, you know, shut off the news and get out there and talk to your neighbor. I mean, the people out there, uh, that, that we really need to be talking with is each other and not spending all our time listening to you know, somebody talking about how evil all the MAGA Republicans are or, or, or how much of a communist, uh, that this person is or, or that kind of thing. We just need to really spend our time talking with each other, get into our real communities, not this online uh, uh, illusion of a community that, that people spend so much time in. Spend some time in your real community. Spend some time talking to your neighbors and then get involved in uh, maybe your local politics and, and lean on your local politician to, to make better decisions and, and really never yield power uh, again to this all-powerful leviathan that we have as a federal government. Uh, I think I think if more people got involved in in organizations and and I'm I'm going I'll, I'll promote it again is is Braver Angels is the largest grassroots organization out there pushing for a movement of of depolarization. And that movement cannot happen uh, at the biggest levels, it has to happen at the smallest, and we need to work together as individuals to make that happen. You know, it's us as individuals that make the change that's going to lead us through. So to talk you off a ledge, there's absolutely the ability to make sure that this thing does not happen again. But the way to do that is to spend time uh, pushing for uh, people who don't spend all their time keeping us divided, but push for uh, true interaction and true community with those who want to bring us together. It, it's it's possible, and it and it needs to happen. Well, Adam, if if uh, if a fringe epidemiologist and a deplorable can be good friends as we are, almost <laughs> anything is possible. I would think. Um, uh, so, okay, so uh, I mean, I, I I agree with the spirit of that, as you know, um, and, I, and I and I you know I I, I want to work for that. Um, it's just uh, it's the, the last year has been frustrating. I thought it the has, scientific community has. would come together to try to do an evaluation, and really we haven't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, okay, so I want to I want to uh, I want to like the last part of this podcast. What I want to do is I want to tell the, the the audience about uh, uh, things that happened after after that interview you did with Francis Collins. Mm-hmm. And um, 
so the, now Francis Collins has continued to be involved with Greater Angels, and there was an event I think in Phoenix where the the where uh, Francis Collins gave uh, a, 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 a an interview, a conversation with some of the folks in Braver Angels Phoenix, um, which is going to, I think, if it's if it's not already released, it's, is, is is going to be released. It's, it's like a, an extended conversation with folks folks in Phoenix. Um, uh, you called me up of, of maybe around that time and mm-hmm. asked if I'd be interested in either being in a conversation with him or 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 appearing also a lot, uh, you know, after him. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, uh, that, that led to my also appearing in front of this Phoenix Brave Angels group where Mm -hmm. you, you led me through an interview. Maybe, maybe that'll go as viral as the last, but probably not as, as the last clip did. (laughs) Um, uh, and uh, it was it was really interesting because the, the the purpose of interviewing me, it seemed to me, was to give balance so that the Braver Angels group and America could hear not just what Francis Collins thought, but what also what what someone who, like me who didn't did agree with Francis Collins very much during the pandemic, what I thought and, mm-hmm. and the reasons for why I thought that. Um, can you describe some of that, uh, like the process, like because I, I think that the organization is so interesting to me, like the idea of seeking balance from people uh and what you described to me was that there were people of di- very different p- political parties, both political parties mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the event who appreciated having both of us speak although i really wish it had been uh, on one stage with both with me and him together uh but yeah. uh, that, that i guess is too too uh, bridge too far at this point well that that is something that i will continue to work on jay for sure but but yeah so so the arizona alliance from braver angels had, had put together a conversation and and uh with with dr francis collins and and it was one that that uh that the the audience members uh who are evenly weighted between uh, what the you know Braver Angels calls it Reds and Blues, uh, but obviously you know I don't care if you want to call it Republicans, Democrats, Liberals, Conservatives, whatever the case may be. But everything that Braver Angels does, they strive to have a, as as much balance as possible, right? Between between Red and Blue perspective, and and when uh, um, they invited Doctor Collins to come on and 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 have a conversation and answer questions. Uh, um, you know, uh, for for the uh, Arizona Alliance, there were a handful of people that 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 were were kind of uh, concerned that um, that they had just given a platform, uh, another platform to uh, to Dr. Collins without you know with, without having balance, even though the questions asked of him were were you know balanced uh, amongst the Reds and the Blues, which was a you know which was a plausible argument and it, and it made complete sense. So, so they did reach out to me and said, Hey, yeah, we know that you're friends with Dr. J Bhattacharya as well. Uh, would you, you know, mind doing a similar, uh, similar presentation with him, uh, and, and take questions from the audience. Um, some, some submitted ahead of time, some, you know, some in real time. Uh, but, uh, but I emceed that event. You and I had a great conversation that night. And, and then those, uh, those videos were, were released. They're both on the Braver Angels website now. So, so people can go find them. Uh, but they were, it, it was, it was just a, a, I will say a joint event, you know, now in full disclosure, it wasn't a deal where, you know, he knew that, that, uh, um, 
you know, something was going to end up happening with you. You know, you didn't have the ability to see his, you know, his answers to his questions. And he, you know, he certainly didn't have the ability because we did yours after, after his. So it wasn't like a rebuttal. It was never meant to be a rebuttal. It was never meant to be a, a joint conversation, so to speak. Uh, but what it was, was it was, to show two different perspectives, right? How how the the pandemic uh, and the pandemic response was for you, Doctor J. Bhattacharya, and you, Doctor Francis Collins. So so that's that's what that was, and that was a great thing. And and as with many of these things, there are so many more questions uh, than than there's time to uh, uh, time to get answered in a short period of time. So so yeah, there yeah, there I, was some I extra thought, questions uh, that people have been hitting me up with. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, Adam, that I thought the audience questions were fantastic uh, in yeah. that. Um, and we will include in the show notes links to that to that event, uh, both me and for Fred, Dr. Collins. Um, but uh, and as you said, uh, there were questions we didn't get to. And so I want I wanted to turn uh, the remainder of the podcast over to you, Adam, uh, so, because you said that you, there are a number of questions that you got from audience members that we didn't get to that, that, that you thought would be interesting for us to, for me to respond to. And so why don't, why don't you go ahead and tell, uh, tell us, tell, give me those questions. I'd love to, love to respond to them. Yeah, for but sure. I, I, and I, I thank you for, you know, affording me that, uh, that time. And I, I know the, uh, the Arizona Alliance and, and all braver angels will be, uh, uh, will be grateful for it too, because these are, these are actually some really, uh, good questions that, that round out that conversation and this conversation. And, and uh, so, Jay, what do you feel is the best uh, best path forward for reconciliation between those who implemented and supported the national public health response to COVID and, and those who are skeptical uh, or opposed to those responses? I think we've talked a lot about that already tonight. Um, but uh, but but what do you think is the best best path forward? Well, I mean, we have talked a lot. Uh, I've just it's a thumbnail sketch. I think first uh, there's a there's a very basically universal recognition that whatever we did during the pandemic didn't work. It was catastrophically a failure, right? Mm -hmm. So many people died from, of COVID or from COVID. Uh, there was so much collateral harm, and if you compare our results to other countries, we we didn't do very well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that the first step is a uh, is the, is the next step beyond that universal recognition of what we did was catastrophic wrong, a desire by all parties to understand why. I mean, that's the, that's the truth and reconciliation, the morbidity and mortality conference or whatever you want to call it. I think that would have been, that, 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 that still needs to happen as, 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 as much as I've lost hope that will happen, at least in the immediate future. I think without that, you can't, you actually can't get to good consensus about what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, um, so I think that that, that, that absolutely needs to happen. I, th I think, but if you asked me a year ago, I would have just ended there. Now I say, what I say is that you, every, no matter who you are, red or blue, it doesn't matter. Every single politician that you're, that comes in front of you, if it's for dog catcher, count, city council, whatever it is, ask them, what would they do? If another pandemic happens, would they, would they, are you planning to shut down my business? Are you planning to set, to stop me from sending my kids to school? Are you planning to stop me from seeing my, my, my mom in a nursing home? Are you planning to make it so I can't visit my, my, uh, my friend in a hospital who's dying? Are you planning to make it so that, that, uh, that, that, uh, I can't conduct my basic life that I'm going to treat everybody like a biohazard? Everyone needs to ask 
their politicians about what they plan to do because the the public health community essentially has closed ranks mm-hmm. has told mm-hmm. itself that it, what it did was was fine that there was no other way and so what needs to happen is that the the people the, our politicians who who actually they they're the ones who actually hold the power mm-hmm. need to be aware that the public wants oversight of the public health community much more oversight than than as it has and i think that will force a conversation within the public health community that we desperately need to have absolutely absolutely without a doubt man that's yeah got to talk to those local politicians like i said we we may not be able to uh really get a get a stranglehold on that leviathan that we call a federal government right now but but at, at least total engagement with our local politicians very very important i couldn't agree more all right given your personal experience jay with censorship and with the attacks on your reputation and analysis what is your best argument for the importance of free speech dialogue and debate during times of crisis when decisions must be made quickly and decisively. You know, I've, I've heard the argument people say, and you heard it actually with Francis Collins in, during your conversation with him say that debate essentially was too dangerous to have. Dissenting opinion was too dangerous to have. But I'll tell you, uh, the, the problem with that idea is that it, it presumes that there are people at the top of these hierarchies that are so wise that they know the answers to, to challenging situations, to fast-moving situations better better than anybody else. And that anyone that challenges them during that time is, is going to cause all kinds of uh, c- kinds of havoc. Even in war, that's not true, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, the decisions that get made in, in by effective armies have people uh, able to challenge the, the, the leaders even in real time to say, look, are you sure this is right? Those debates happen all the time in effective organizations. Mm-hmm. And the 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 covid crisis was no different you it is especially in times of 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 uh, of crisis that you need the most minds on a topic i mean no one's going to be right about everything that's just not possible it's not humanly possible mm-hmm. and so that kind of humility at the top of an organization leads i think to much better decisions i, I mean i'm not saying that there's no cost like you're you're going to get people that say they're going to say things that are wrong that are that, that become effective and challenging that's just part of the the, the the thing, but the but but very quickly the best ideas will win. I think if you actually have an open and honest conversation, and it's especially in crises, I think that that's that's most needed, and it's especially a crisis like the COVID crisis where uh, the decisions that were made didn't weren't just epidemiological decisions. They weren't just virology decisions or immunological decisions. They were decisions that affect every aspect of human life it, for every human on Earth. How could it be that only a small number of people have the capacity to make the best decisions in that setting? Um, mm-hmm. you, you needed debate and discussion. Uh, if you look through history, you're going to find that uh, the, the dictatorships do much more poorly than situations where more people are more more ideas, more minds are allowed to to participate in, in the most important decisions. Um, and I think that that's that's all. I mean, there's there a guarantee? No. Mm-hmm. But I, but is there anything? Is there if you look through the the evidence of history, I don't think you'll come to any conclusion other than what I just said. You need to have those kinds of mind the, the capacity for people to discuss and, and debate. That's right, Especially an open, honest discussion. Uh, you know, free of fear. Uh, we we we've, we've got to be able to have that conversation. Um, if you yeah, going back to what you just said, going back through history, uh, it it's 
not those that uh, tried to shut down um, dissenting uh, speech or shut down debate that that uh, fared the best in history. It, it, we've got to be able to have that conversation. Uh, we've got to be able to get out there and, and get the brightest minds on, uh, around the table and come up with the best decision for the people. All right. Is there anything in hindsight, Jay, that you would change about the recommendations that you made during the pandemic? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, of course, easy to criticize others. I, I mean, I got a lot wrong. I mean, I'll say like, so for instance, early in the pandemic, I did not think it was possible to develop a vaccine so quickly. I mean, mm -hmm. my knowledge of about vaccine development suggested it would take, a, you know, many years to develop a vaccine quickly. And so my thinking early in the pandemic basically just missed that as a possibility. Now, mm -hmm. I still think that that was uh, that even if you have a vaccine possible in a year, you still should not lock down. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I do think that that like the that it, these this set of people that you want to say are so vulnerable, you want to protect um, during until you get a vaccine might be larger if the possibility of an early vaccine is there. Right. So that's mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. one uh, one one thing. Um, I, I think uh, I actually I when the vaccines did come out, I wrote an op-ed with Sunetra Gupta in the Wall Street Journal recommending that it be used in older people, mm -hmm. uh, but it not be used in young people. Mm -hmm. The reasoning was that old people faced a very high risk of dying if they get COVID. And the vaccine, based on the trial evidence, looked like it probably would reduce that by quite a lot. Whereas for younger people, that benefit is much smaller because the risk of dying from COVID is much lower. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get COVID, if you're young, you have much, much lower risk. Uh, I, I, I think that was actually right. I mean, that, that, that advice was correct. Uh, what I didn't anticipate was how quickly the vaccine would, would, its ability to block you from getting COVID would dissipate. That took me a, a little while. I mean, I think it, if I look now back at the evidence, I probably could have inferred it by March of 2021, but I didn't really know for certain that it wasn't doing that until, let's say, May, June, July. Um, and I think that that might have colored my thinking. I, I mean, I still, I thought it was a, in early 2021, I thought it was a debate whether, uh, a legitimate debate, whether you should prioritize the vaccines for people in uh, working in, in hospitals, for instance, to reduce the risk that patients get COVID. Because mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't know, I just seemed, I didn't know for certain, I didn't seem like that, it, it seemed like we, it, the, 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 the trials hadn't demonstrated blocking of infection. But, you know, it, it, maybe it blocks infection. Well, in that case, maybe you can make an argument to prioritize people working in, in hospitals and stuff. I, I still thought that it was much more important to protect human life with the vaccines. So that's mm -hmm. why I thought um, uh, that or I recommended that older people get it first. Um, the other thing I think I did wrong was I was a, it was a little I was a little slow to uh, to vocally say uh, that there was harm from the vaccines to certain populations. Like the myocarditis data started to come out, I think like April 2021, May. I mean, is when I first started hearing about it. And I, 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 I frankly, just out of because I'd been attacked so viciously over and over again um, by the by the medical community, people like Francis Collins. I didn't want the the anti-vaxxer label on me, mm -hmm. um, and so I was a little slower than I should have been to say, look, people really are suffering from some of the side effects of these vaccines. Um, I did eventually start to say, I mean, like the summer of 2021, I think I started to be more vocal about this. And I certainly was much more vocal about the evidence that the vaccines don't stop you from getting or transmitting COVID. Mm -hmm. um, pretty vocal. Uh, so I think I got that right. 
but I, I should have been faster, I think, in um, acknowledging the evidence because there were a lot of people that were suffering from, especially young men suffering from myocarditis, probably felt like there were, there was no echo in the scientific community of the, the things that they actually were seeing with their own eyes mm-hmm, that they were mm-hmm. suffering through. Um, so I think that I, I could have done that better. I mean, I could go on. Adam, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's there's plenty, um, and 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 there's definitely uh, room for an entirely different conversation on you know talking about vaccine injured and 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 the number of of different things that are are going on around the world with people claiming that uh, things. But we can get into that another time. I, I know we're running short on time here, and I don't want to to uh i know you want to get through these questions for for the the folks at braver angels again and i want to thank you for that so that's awesome all right if you had 15 minutes with president biden and sure uh of an of an open mind how would you outline the failures and your recommendations for change i mean just a, a if you had a a real quick minute with with uh president biden and, and you thought that he would see it with an open mind how would you go about that i think the the biggest mistake that president biden made uh i mean the the, the you know it's this is again it's a little it's it's uh it's one of these things where i can say in retrospect um but i think it was actually that he should have known it at the time he premised his vaccine recommendations and policies on the idea that if you got the vaccine you would not get covid and you would not spread covid Mm-hmm. He persisted on this long past the time the scientific evidence contradicted that, right? So, um, it, the, and the, in fact, the vaccine mandate policies that he put in place uh, essentially came, uh, came in like late summer, mid-summer 2021. Again, long mm-hmm. after the time it was clear that the vaccine didn't stop you from getting a spreading COVID. Right. Um, and uh, the, a lot of the rhetoric that he had essentially demonized people for deciding not to take the vaccines. Even people, even people who had already had COVID and recovered, for whom the vaccines uh, provided much less benefit than someone who never had COVID before, mm-hmm. uh, heroes that that had risked themselves during the 2020 uh, essential workers, uh, they they were they lost their jobs because of President Biden's policies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of the trust that people used to have in vaccines broadly has been, has collapsed as a consequence of these policies people feel like they were lied to about the efficacy of these vaccines that they that their that their uh, decisions that they made about the vaccines essentially excluded them from the basic civic life of the of the of this country mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. just because they decided not to get the vaccines that these are vaccine passports you couldn't go into libraries in New York City for instance uh, there were like in, in California there were like a consideration of laws so you couldn't send your kids to school if they hadn't had the covid vaccine um, people felt like second-class citizens for deciding not to get the vaccine. I, I think it's very, if, if, pre, if I could convince President Biden to give a heartfelt speech saying that that was wrong, that he should never have made Americans feel like second-class citizens on the basis of his medical decision, and that, in fact, in retrospect, that, that, that it was really clear um, it, that relatively early, you know, say mid-early summer 2021, that the vaccines don't stop you from getting COVID, that that and that that he would commit to putting in in uh, into law protections so that this kind of medical discrimination never would never happen again. Federal right, law, right, for sure. I think that would be a, that would be a tremendous step forward. Uh, I think it would it would it would really help um, heal a lot of the divides that President Biden's own rhetoric caused uh, the harms um, that his own rhetoric caused around vaccines. A lot of people felt like they're second class citizens. Then no president should do that to people. 
I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that would be, I think that would go a long way. I mean, I'm not in, in any way, shape or form a, a fan of Biden, but, but if he came up there with a mo in a moment of humility and, and actually gave that heartfelt speech that you're talking about, I, I think that would go a very, very long way in, in helping to, uh, to bridge that divide. So, so no, that's great. Thank you, Jay. All right. Now, uh, one final one here um, for the folks at Braver Angels. Do you think trust would be rebuilt by a Braver Angels guided meeting of the various sides on the COVID policy to find common ground in acknowledging errors made uh, and, and the policy for the future? I absolutely think that was very, really very important. I mean, I, I've um, have been, I, invi I was invited to several debates during the pandemic uh, with people who disagreed with me, uh, uh, people like Mark Lipsitch at Harvard, uh, Stan, uh, uh, Stan Vermond at Yale and others who disagreed with me. I thought those were very, very constructive. Um, but to have a debate or discussion or just a policy event or just some, some sort of discussion um, with people on, on the other side, prominent people on their side, maybe Francis Collins, uh, in front of a regular audience, so that regular people could could see the kinds of, of arguments that we have to make to each other, and I, you know, I, you said earlier you think that Francis Collins still has still believes that what we did was right. Um, I think you're right about that. I think that that kind that that means that that kind of discussion, um, that kind of debate, would be quite productive. Um, and and uh, it, the goal wouldn't be to convince the scientific community that that that's that's come and gone. That that mm. should have been, that's a debate that should have happened in 2020. Um, the goal would be to talk in front of the public about how, how to move forward from the catastrophe that we just went through. Mm -hmm. No, that's absolutely right. And I, I think the, the Braver Angels platform, the, the, the ways that Braver Angels goes about things and, and brings people together in so many different ways, of people of differing mindsets, thoughts, opinions, and, and constructively works through those things is, is going to be, uh, what ultimately saves saves us. I, I mean, uh, polarization, as my friend John Wood Jr. says, polarization is the one uh, problem that ensures all other problems won't be uh, won't be solved. Um, we uh, we we talk about it so often that we cannot continue to allow the loudest voices out there to keep us divided. But we we ourselves as individuals have to stand up. We have to find our voice. We have to speak with people who do not think like we do. And and all these different things that, that you and I have talked about, Jay, and the things that I've talked about with, you know, Dr. Francis Collins, um, this is all in an effort to make sure that the conversation continues. We do not let this thing just just fall by the wayside. This is one of the most contentious issues of our time. And and if we don't continue the conversation, if we don't get all parties with all uh, mindsets to the table so that we can work through these things, obviously there's going to be people with wacky just out there things that, that probably don't deserve a whole lot of time at the table. But those will work themselves out with a true and honest and fearless conversation because the brightest ideas will always prevail uh, when you allow things to work the way that they're supposed to work. So, um, man, I kind of took over your show there for a second. No, but I, that I, was fantastic, Adam. And, and uh, in fact, it's, it's a great high note to end this uh, end this uh, podcast on. Um uh, I, I want to thank you for for uh, agreeing to come on the the podcast and also for taking over the last half of it. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, 
uh, so, and until next time, this is uh, Professor Jay Bhattacharya speaking with Adam Wilkinson of, of the Do you Rate the Hate podcast and the Braver Angels organization. Uh, thank you for joining us. Until next time.